What do you believe about Jesus? Because it is the defining question of our lives. Because what you believe about Jesus affects everything. You know, when Jesus walked the earth, everybody was trying to figure out, who is this guy? They were trying to figure out what they believed about him. They heard him teach in ways that they've never heard God talked about before. Jesus taught in parables. This is something we saw last week. Parables are these, was the fancy word that got connected to stories or illustrations. So Jesus would tell these stories that we call parables. Uh, they were stories that everybody could relate to, but they had significant meaning from heaven. And, and people would hear these things like, we've never heard God taught like that before. Jesus also went around and he performed miracles, and nobody had seen anything like that before either. The wind and the waves seemed to obey the very words of the Lord. They saw him heal people. They saw him feed people without hardly any food at all. We're talking thousands of people. He even raised somebody from the dead. You remember Jairus' child, um, God, Jesus raised him from the dead. The talk of the town was, what do you believe about Jesus? And the people who would meet Jesus, they walked away knowing this is no ordinary guy, but who is he really? Now, if you turn over to page 353 in your storybooks, that's where we're going to start today. This is Mark chapter 8. There is this atmosphere in the text of people wondering, who in the world is this guy, Jesus? What do we believe about him? And so we pick up in our, in our reading, this is Mark chapter 8, verse 27, it says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? Jesus asked them this question because people were wondering. And he's like, hey, guys, what do people say about me? Who are they saying that I am? And his disciples replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked this very important question just to his disciples. What about you guys? Who do you say that I am? And then Peter speaks up, and I think he was speaking for the disciples, but why not Peter? He's always the first one to speak up or jump up or jump out or swing something, isn't that Peter? And he says, you are the Messiah. And this is a very profound response because by, G by Peter saying to Jesus, you are the Messiah, here's what he's acknowledging. The word Messiah means anointed one. And so Peter's saying, you are the anointed one who's been sent down here by God himself. You are the promised one that we have been waiting for, the one that the scripture has told us about, the one that the prophets prophesied about. That is you. You are the Messiah. And we start to see in the text that the disciples themselves start to put a few dots together. They start connecting them. Not all the dots. They won't connect everything until after Jesus resurrects from the, from the dead. But they're starting to maybe figure out some things. But they still have a lot of questions, and still so do many people. Flip over one page to 355. The conversation continues. This is John chapter 7, verse 11. Here's what happens next. Now, at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, Where is he? So I guess Jesus is a little late to the party. People are wondering, where is he at? Where is, is he going to show up to this one? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. I whispered because the Bible says he whispered. He is a good man. So there's like, there's like trying to figure out who is he. We're waiting on him to come. People are whispering to each other. Who is this guy, Jesus? What's he going to say next? Like some were saying he's a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives people. You know, Jesus didn't make friends everywhere he went. Some said, no, he deceives people. No one would say anything publicly for fear of the leaders. 
So there was definitely this watchful eye over everything Jesus did. And so the people who are wondering who is Jesus and what he's all about, they didn't wonder too loud because they didn't want repercussions to come down on him, on them. If you look at verse 14, not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? People were trying to figure out who this Jesus guy is, and they're like, he's the son of a carpenter. He, he didn't grow up around lots of money or lots of great education, he, but he speaks with more authority than our religious leaders, but he has no training, and so they're, they're just wondering about it. Some people were so drawn to the things that Jesus said, they were just enticed by it, and there were others who were offended by the things that Jesus would say. Now, let me just tell you a few of the things that Jesus said. Some of it drew people in, it offended others. Jesus would say things like this, hey, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and get a drink. For whoever believes in me, like the scripture says, rivers of living water will flow from me. And people were like, whoa. Jesus said this one time, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the, right, the light of life. He's given them clues as to who he is. He said, I'm going away one time. You'll look for me, and you're going to die in your sins, and where I go, you cannot come. And people are like, who is this guy? He's talking about places we can't go. He knows things we don't know. Jesus said one time, you are from below, and I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you'd not believe that I am he, and you will indeed die in your sins. You know what Jesus is acknowledging here when he's having this conversation? He's like saying, I am from the upper story. You are from the lower story. That's what Jesus is acknowledging here. One time he was talking, and he said this, very truly, I tell you that before Abraham was born, in other words, before the beginning of our faith, before Abraham, I am. Now, does that ring a bell to anybody in our study through the Old Testament? Do you remember when God called Moses to go rescue the, the Israelites from Pharaoh's hand? They were in, in captive in slavery. And, and, and Moses, what is he? he saw this burning bush that wasn't, didn't burn up. And there was this voice that came from this bush. And it was God called Moses to this great work. And Moses was hesitant. because I'm not a good speaker. What do I tell them when I say who sent me? And what did God say? He said, you tell them I am sent you. I am. And here Jesus, a couple thousand years later, saying, hey, before Abraham, I am. I promise you there would have been a connection. Jesus said all kinds of things, many other things beyond this, to help people answer this question of who is Jesus. And it, it was the defining question of their day. And I'll say it again. It is the defining question of our day. It's the defining question of your life. Because what you believe about Jesus affects everything. Now, what became very clear in our chapter 25 this week is that Jesus is doing things to show people the glory of God. He, he, he wanted people to know that, that he was God in the flesh and that they could trust him. But as we get to the end of our chapter, if you've read it, and I hope you all have, um, time is running out on Jesus. We are getting closer and closer and closer to the cross. 
And so there's these things that are happening and things that will transpire that's going to shed more glory and more light on the Lord. Jesus, at this point in the story, is literally just a few days away from the cross. And we read about what we're going to spend the most of our time today looking at. We read about one of Jesus' close friends passes away. Now, again, like we're, like we're not very far away from the cross. Jesus' own death is imminent. It's close. But one of his good friends, his name is Lazarus, passes away. And Jesus is going to use the death of his very close friend Lazarus to show the world that he is the Messiah and to preview something that is to come that everyone will be able to believe. He's going to do something here. It's, it's, he's going to use the death of his friend and the miracle that's going to follow to help people answer the question about Jesus' identity. So if you haven't done so yet, please open to page 358 in your storybooks. And I want us to read about one of Jesus' greatest miracles if you could ever really create a list of greatest to least when it comes to miracles. But if I had to create a list, this one that we're going to read about has got to be up there close to the top of one of Jesus' greatest miracles. If you're following along in your Bible, this is John chapter 11, and we're going to start reading in verse 1, and all the scriptures will be behind me on the screen so you can follow along as well. It starts like this. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, Mary and, her mother, or, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Do you remember that part from our reading? So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Bethany is a village that sits on the backside of the Mount of Olives, if you're familiar with the Holy Land um, geography. It's about a mile and a half east of Jerusalem, and it's a small, it's a small little village at the time that was located on the road going towards Jericho. Mary, her sister Martha, and their brother Lazarus lived in Bethany. It's a family. This is how they're connected. And it's, it's hard to pinpoint exactly in Scripture exactly how Jesus knew this family so well. We, the Bible tells us they were close, that Jesus loved Lazarus. There, there was a closeness there, but we don't really know how they got so close. The Bible doesn't give us that little detail. We do know this family showed great hospitality towards Jesus, and it has caused some to speculate that, you know, Bethany being so close to Jerusalem, maybe this is where Jesus was kind of headquarters. Maybe this is where he spent some time, and that's how they got close. And and, and things like that. We don't know for sure, but we do know that Jesus is close friends with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And so when Lazarus becomes very ill, and it looks like maybe Lazarus isn't going to make it, these two sisters do what any other sisters would have done in their shoes. They don't go hunt down a doctor, they go hunt down Jesus. They know him well. They know what he's capable of. They know that it's a dire situation. And they're like, all points bulletin out. Let's go find Jesus. Let's go track him down. You let him know what's going on with Lazarus. I know he'll come. He'll come quickly. Jesus will fix everything. And we would do the same thing, wouldn't we? If our family member was there, if we were living at this time, I can tell you, if I was in their shoes, I wouldn't be hunting for a doctor. I'd be hunting for Jesus. And so they go for Jesus. And then they find him. Look, let's keep reading. It's John eleven four. When he had heard this, when Jesus had heard that Lazarus was sick, he said this, and it shocked everybody listening. The sickness will not end in death. 
And then he says, no, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. If you're an underliner, would you underline that part in your storybook or in your Bible? We're going to come back to this and analyze it just a little bit. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now, isn't that interesting? We just read about a time when somebody that Jesus really didn't know came up and said, come help my child. They're sick. They're going to die. And Jesus goes immediately. Now there's somebody that, that Jesus, the Bible tells, loved them deeply, loved this family, cared for this family. And they've got a dire situation. And Jesus says, this isn't going to end in death. I'm going to hang out right here for a few more days. He stays right where he's at. Now, Jesus will shed some light for his disciples about this because I would imagine his disciples also knew Mary and Martha and Lazarus really well. Um, let's not miss the fact that they were probably friends of them as well. And they're probably like, why aren't we going? It's Lazarus. I don't, know what the, the, I don't know what all the conversations were like. Sometimes there's details the Bible doesn't tell me that I, I wish I knew. And I, I say things like this. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask the Lord about that one. And then I go, when I get to heaven, I'm not going to care. And so anyway, it's just one of those things. It's just, it's just one of those details I have to be at peace with. So I don't know what the conversation was like, but I, I kind of get this sense that maybe the disciples are like, Let's go. And Jesus like, no, we're going to hang out here for a few more days. And then Jesus needs to tell them something. He's like, listen, there's something bigger going on here than Lazarus's illness. Much bigger. And, and, and God's going to use what's going on with Lazarus to, to glorify himself and to glorify me, his son. This does not end tragically, so everybody just hold your horses. I believe that's kind of the conversation that Jesus had. And, and this is an intriguing idea for me. I am somebody who analyzes the words of Jesus. And I try to climb into the shoes of his disciples. I try to understand originally what would they have been hearing and what was Jesus saying. And this intrigues me. Jesus seems to be saying this. That Lazarus' problems, in this case his illness, that's going to take his life doesn't really have that much to do with Lazarus. Now think about this. It doesn't really have that much to do with him. It has something to do with something far greater than, than Lazarus. That Jesus seems to be saying Lazarus' sickness has a greater purpose that nobody can see right now, but it will bring glory to God. Do you, you want to know what I hear Jesus saying? That Lazarus is sick because it has something to do with the Lord's upper story. Something bigger is happening than what anybody can see. Lazarus is living in the lower story. Mary and Martha are living in the lower story. All they see are the problems right in front of them. They don't see what Jesus is seeing, that this is all part of God's grand plan to glorify himself. And that intrigues me greatly. It tells me that God is a very on-purpose God, and nothing escapes his notice. Nothing. Boy, I wish I knew why some people got sick and others didn't. Wouldn't you love to know the answer to that question? Maybe you're like me sometimes. You see somebody, this godly saint of a person who is struggling and wrestling so much through all kinds of problems and suffering, and you're like, why, Lord, why them? That doesn't make any sense. They've done nothing but been a champion for you their whole lives. And then you look at somebody over here 
who couldn't get a rip about God or his kingdom. And they're like, they, got, they don't seem to have a problem in the world. You're like, that doesn't seem fair. Or is that just me thinking this kind of stuff? Wouldn't you love to get some answers? Lord, why do I have to endure this? This doesn't seem fair. What are you doing with this, God? I, mean, I guess I've just come to have some peace in my spirit that if I knew the answer to all of life's toughest questions, I guess I just wouldn't need Jesus, would I? I wouldn't need faith. I wouldn't need trust. I wouldn't need hope. What would it, what would it do to you? I mean, how would it change your thinking if what you're currently going through and what you're suffering through or whatever it may be, if you knew, would it change something in you if you knew, oh, but God's got an upper story plan and he's gonna use this to glorify him and God's gonna use this in a big way and maybe God's gonna use what you're going through to bring more and more people into a saving relationship with him. Let me, let me ask, if you knew that ahead of time, do you think you'd be more okay with what you're suffering through? I, I don't know. But Jesus seems to indicate right here what Lazarus is going through has a higher purpose and God's purpose really has more to do with God's purpose than what's going on with Lazarus. It's gonna be okay. It just intrigues me. If we keep reading, page 359, this is John 11, verse 17. Jesus does come eventually and it says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So in other words, what's going on here is that uh, by the time they actually got to Jesus, by the time they got word to him and then his decision to hang out for a few more days and then to travel to where Lazarus, in the meantime, when all that was happening, Lazarus did die and he's already been in tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Now, I don't know what many means, but I can assume it means many. A fair number of people saw Lazarus' dead body. A fair number of people hugged and loved on Mary and Martha and brought meals, and loved, and cared. A lot of people knew what was going on. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And Martha said, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who, who is to come into the world. You know, my personal interpretation of Martha's response as she's talking to Jesus, I don't get the sense that she's flinging accusations at Jesus. I read this, this is my take on it. I, I don't think she's saying to Jesus, you know what, some friend you are, this wouldn't have happened had you come sooner. I, I don't sense that's in her spirit. By the rest of the conversation, I just... I don't think there's an accusatory tone here. I do believe that she is stating her faith in another way. She's like saying, Jesus, I do know in my heart. Thank you for coming. I, know, I do know and believe you could have stopped this if you were here. I don't sense it's accusatory, but I'm not sure. 
But in the middle of this conversation, whether she was a little bit annoyed with Jesus, upset, or affirming her faith, or, or what, in the middle of this conversation, Jesus is going to say some things to her and challenge her in ways that's going to bring her closer than she has ever been before of knowing who Jesus really is. He says to her, Martha, your brother will rise again. He's stating a fact, and, and, and he had stated already to his disciples, this is not going to end tragically. She says, Martha, your brother's going to rise again. And then she gives him the normal church answer. Oh, I, I know at the, at the resurrection we'll, he will rise again. What she's saying is, I know that in the end we're all going to be together. I know that instinctively in my heart we will all see each other again. Very much like you hear people talk when a Christian passes away and we attend the funeral. It's like when Christian, a Christian person dies, we can, with all honesty and facts and truth and, and belief and everything, that, like, you know what? This is not the end. This is just goodbye from now. This person's faith was in Christ Jesus, and they will be in heaven, and we will all be together one day again. That's what Martha is saying. It's a very true statement. And then Jesus says to her this, verse 25, he says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Jesus is telling Martha, I believe, Martha, don't look so far off into the future that you miss what's standing right in front of you in the present. Martha, Martha's hope was that Lazarus would be resurrected at the end and we'd all share heaven together. That was as far as her hope was going at the time. But Jesus challenged her. He says, I am the resurrection. Martha, right here, standing in front of you, I am the power that at the end brings everybody back together. And I'm right here. Don't miss me. Don't miss me. I am that power standing in front of your face that's going to pull all this together. And I'm telling you, your brother will rise again. Martha, what do you believe? And she gives the answer of all answers for all ages. She said, I believe. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And her answer really does shed light on what we believe when we say that we believe in Jesus. Have you ever really picked apart to understand when you say, I believe in Jesus, what you are actually acknowledging? What is the foundation of your faith there? I think Martha outlines it for us in three simple ways. Martha's answer, I think, will help us here in what we actually believe about Jesus. If you're going to say that you believe in Jesus... It's not just lip service. You're saying this, that I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. There, there's an acknowledgement there that you're saying, I believe that he is the chosen one from God, that his ministry on earth was not some accident, it's not the result of some enterprising, young, aggressive guy who saw opportunities to help people and do good things. No, no, no. He's the Messiah. Christ, the anointed one, who was part of God's plan to save the world, the one the prophets spoke about in the Old Testament, the Christ. That's what I believe. The second part of her answer sheds light on what we believe as well. One must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. What does that mean exactly? We say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. 
You're saying that I believe that Jesus is more than some obedient human tool that God used to do good things. No, it's an acknowledgement that Jesus was God himself. God in the flesh. That God came down and walked among his creation as a man. And that man was Jesus. He was fully man. He was fully God at the same time. So I believe in Jesus means I believe he is the Messiah. He is God who came and walked the earth. The son of God. That's how we describe that. And finally, her answer sheds light into one other aspect of it as well. We believe that Jesus has come into the world. Okay, that this isn't like, you know, hey, one day he'll come. No, I believe that Jesus is the anointed one spoken by the prophets. He's the son of God. It's God himself who fulfilled the promise to come to his people. He came into the world. That's what Martha was saying. What do you believe? Here's how the story continues. Page 360, this is John eleven thirty six. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. I wish I had time to unpack all of these similarities for you today. Jesus, there's so many things that Jesus is shedding some light on what he is going to experience just a few days off into the future. If you're paying attention, you'll see the parallels. So it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance, and Jesus says, take the stone away. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for it has been four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, he prayed this, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus is acknowledging in prayer that I'm doing this so that you'll be glorified. What's about to happen, what is going to blow these people's minds here in about 30 seconds is so that they would believe in you. And they would believe that you sent me. And Jesus, again, this, this whole thing with Lazarus is about bringing glory to God. I promise you it has implications for a few days off into the future when Jesus goes through this himself. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen and cloth around his face. Somebody needs to make a movie out of this. Here comes this guy, he's been there for four days. Nobody doubted that he was dead. And here he comes walking out in his grave clothes. And Jesus says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Friends, I'm telling you, there's stuff about when you're dead, you come alive, and you're shedding the grave clothes of sin. There's all kinds of things I hope you're paying attention to. And he walks out. The raising of Lazarus from the dead is a preview of Jesus' own death and resurrection. It adds validity to what Jesus will do. And here's how that validity gets added Someone a few days off in the future. See, Jesus, he's just a few days away from the triumphal entry. You know that time when Jesus rode into Jerusalem for the last week of his life? That's where, you know, the word the passion comes from, the last. And so Jesus rides in on a donkey. Why do thousands of people come out to see him come in? 
Why do they throw palm branches in front of him? Why do they sing praises to him? You know why? Because so many of them just a few days earlier goes, Lazarus was dead and this guy raised him to life. And he's getting the glory. They come out. They come out to, to witness this. And he comes in that final week, and we're going to get into that next week, what that final week was like. And it ends with the cross. Three days later, his tomb, the stone gets rolled away. And Jesus comes out of his grave clothes. You can imagine some of the conversations when all this happens. Maybe somebody at the time was saying, I don't know. I don't know. I've been hearing that Jesus rose from the dead. I don't know if I believe that. And the second they say it, maybe they think it or someone else says, yeah, but remember Lazarus? Remember, remember what happened to Lazarus? Well, yeah, I, was, I went over to see Mary and Martha. He was dead, but now he's alive. And, and they're like, you know what? You may not believe that, that Jesus rose to life, but why don't we go over to Bethany and let's ask Lazarus, what does he think about it? All of this adds validity to the testimony of that Jesus has risen from the dead. Was there mass belief that Jesus had done this? You better believe it. We're here today because of it. And because of Lazarus and other things that happen, I mean, it all just does what? It glorifies God and it glorifies his son and it makes people praise him. And that's why Jesus said to his disciples that, that Lazarus will not end in death. You know, it's for God's glory because God has an upper story. And sometimes we can't always see it in the lower story. After this, after Jesus, you know, um, after Jesus rose Lazarus from the grave, they wanted Jesus dead more than ever. And not only did they up their, their efforts to kill Jesus, did you also know, little known fact, that they also wanted to kill Lazarus? Why did they contemplate killing Lazarus too? Let's shut the guy up who died and came back to life and said Jesus did it. They wanted to shut it all down. They never wanted Lazarus talking about Jesus' greatest miracle. So we come back to the defining question of your life. What do you believe about Jesus? You've been reading the story. You've been reading all the things that Jesus has done. So let's ask the question, what do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe like Martha when she said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. What do you believe? Can I pray for you?